It's great that we have Jeff Totten with us and his wife, Carla. Uh, for those of you that don't know, he uh, had been an interim uh, position with us prior to PD arriving. Uh, and so he's got a special connection here at, at Oakwood. Uh, we also support him as a ministry, and he'll, he'll be talking a bit about that. Uh, but instead of having a moment for missions, we get a whole sermon for for the missionary that we're supporting here. So, uh, so thankful that you could join us today. Thanks, Doug. I appreciate you. Hey, good morning. It is a joy for me to be here. Uh, my wife Carla and I uh, hold uh, Oakwood in a very special place in our hearts. Always uh, good to come back and see some familiar faces, and then uh, meet new folks as well. And I did have the privilege to be here for about 15 months uh, during an interim period and just see God work through the people here, and it was a great blessing. So glad that uh, Don is here as your pastor. I've enjoyed getting to know him and then meeting Ted today uh, for the first time. And so I'm glad to see and, and praise God for what he's doing <clears throat> here in your midst. Uh, my ministry, our ministry is SCORE Ministries. Uh, it stands for Sharing Christ Through Outreaches, Resources, and Encouragement. A lot in the sports world, but not entirely. Uh, in the sports world, I have the privilege to do the chapels for the Detroit Tigers. And um, Carla does things with the wives and girlfriends uh, with the team as well. And so this is a busy time of year coming up for us. I'll leave for spring training uh, Thursday or Friday. Uh, this week I drive down, and then Carla will fly down for part of it. And be down there doing Bible studies, chapels, a lot of one-on-one stuff with guys before they come uh, back on up here. Uh, we thank your church for your prayers, your encouragement, uh, your financial support. Uh, it means a lot to us. We appreciate and uh, value that partnership. I'll just share a couple things uh, from last year. <clears throat> a couple guys on the team. Uh, how many Tiger fans are here? Okay. Uh, that was a quiet here. Okay. How many Tiger fans are here? There you go. Um, but uh, one of the young kids on the team, Carrie Carpenter, uh, Carrie came up about a year ago, year and a half ago, and uh, really kind of rose through the minor leagues out of nowhere. Uh, wasn't expected to do as well as he did, and made his major league debut a year and a half ago, and then was up with us all last year. And uh, Carrie's really one of the leaders on the team. If you ever go to a game or listen to a game on TV, uh, maybe the radio, every player gets to pick the song in the stadium that's played when he comes up to bat. Uh, it's called their walk-up song. And so if you ever are, are at a game when Kerry's coming up to bat, he uses a worship song. And a few of the guys on different teams will do that. Uh, and so it kind of gives the identity of who that guy is. But pray for Kerry. Uh, will Vest is another young uh, pitcher on our team who uh, serves Christ and loves him. Uh, and then uh, one guy who came to Christ this last season. That's really what my heart is. I love seeing people... Uh, hear the gospel, come to make a decision for Christ, and then grow. But we had a, a pitcher on the team uh, named Mason Englert. And Mason was a Rule 5 player. And what that means is he was drafted from another organization, uh, from their minor leagues, under the Rule 5. And if you take him, you have to keep him on your big league roster all year. And so he was up with us all year, and he contributed. Uh, but uh, he got involved in our Bible study. And uh, came, and I wasn't sure where he stood with Christ, uh, but he was coming, he was uh, interacting and so forth. And then he had to miss a study because he was away uh, in Toledo rehabbing an injury. And so when he got back up, I said, hey, Mason, let's get together. We'll make up the study, uh, just you and me. And so he came over to our house one day. We sat at the kitchen table, 
and went through this study. And it was the greatest question, greatest thing he ever said, uh, I thought. He said, um, uh, now where does Jesus fit into all of this? It was just a wonderful question with an open door. So I had a chance to really go in depth just with him, explain the gospel. And there at our kitchen table, he prayed to receive Christ. And he said, you got to come talk to my uh, girlfriend, who's now his fiance, Ella. And I, we had met Ella. We had had him over. And so a month later, we met at a coffee shop in Royal Oak and shared the gospel with Ella. And uh, she didn't pray there at the coffee shop, but she went back to their apartment. And I got a text later that night. And she had gotten up and gone into the other room by herself. Mason thought she was mad at him. Like, what did I do? I don't know what I did wrong. Uh, but she went in the other room. And there in the other room, prayed to receive Christ on her own. And so um, both two young believers, I'll, I'll have the privilege to do their wedding next December uh, on the other side of the state where she's from, uh, Grand Rapids. But uh, pray for them. And I brought a little video clip. So about a month ago, Mason was asked to speak in a secular setting at a mental health conference. He had had some real mental health issues previous in life and probably still deals with some of that. And so they asked him to come speak. And he talked about some of the things that helped him before he knew Christ, but then he brings Christ into it really the first time ever in public, him talking about his faith. So it's about a two-minute clip here. I went through a time where I was, especially high school and early pro ball, I was Mason, the baseball player. And all I cared about was like, I'm gonna make a big contract, I'm gonna go pitch, everybody's gonna know me, I'm gonna do this and that. Then it all got torn down whenever I became mentally ill. It's like, how can I worry about any of that whenever I just don't know how I'm gonna make it through tonight or the next day? But then whenever the tide really started to turn, I thought it was towards the end of that year. One of the first natural things I did was I came across sunlight exposure. So like in the mornings when you wake up, as much sunlight as you can get before 10 a.m. is like one of the best things for mental health and for sleep. And then on top of that, adding the cold exposure in immediately after the sunlight exposure. The other thing on the, on the other side of cold exposure is the heat exposure, whether it's sauna, hot shower, the hot bath. Most important thing to me is almost like I had all these pieces of puzzle that were important that I couldn't, I didn't even know it was a puzzle. And it wasn't until I put, gave my life to Christ that I was like, man, I, I'm supposed to, God puts passions on our hearts. My passion is baseball. I love baseball. It's uh, something I really care about. Um, he's given me the passion to try to become the best player I can be. I want to be one of the best pitchers in the league, all that stuff. It's passion he's put on my heart. Now everything that I do, instead of, I'm the meditator, I'm the cold, I'm the ice bath guy, it, it became, no, I'm a follower of Christ, and these are tools that he gave me. So the fire for baseball came back because of the higher purpose and the bigger purpose. It was, it was like, okay, it's a passion God from my heart, so I need to go after as hard as I can. If it doesn't work out, I'm still going to be right where I'm supposed to be. That's where I think the higher belief, and yeah, I just don't ever want to be Mason the baseball player again. Yeah. Cool that you play, but I want to be Mason. The <laughs> yeah. yeah, Mason the example. So I love that. I want to be known as uh, Mason the follower of who? Christ. Uh, he mentioned, like, he does an ice bath thing. He said, you know, he was known as the ice bath guy. Um, but now he wants to be known as a follower of Christ. So pray for Mason, Ella, and uh, guys like that on the team we have the privilege to share Christ with. When you leave, over here at the counter in the lobby, I think called the oak area or the oak table, there's some baseball cards. And on the back, we put the stories of guys' faith in Christ. And so if you want to pick some of those up for yourself, you got kids, grandkids, team you'll play on in a few months, uh, pick those up and you can read their stories. And they're in a little gospel track. So if you give it to someone who doesn't know Christ, it's a great way to share Christ uh, with them. Hey, I want to show you three pictures, uh, three sport pictures, and um, see if you recognize these at all. So the first is from December 30th, 
of 2023. How many recognize this picture? Okay. Uh, Detroit playing Dallas and a referee made a bad call. Who is the name of the referee? Who said Brad Allen? It really bothers me that you know that. Okay. Uh, no, I'm kidding. But uh, Brad, Brad Allen was referee. And the question was, where, where were you looking? Uh, and if you know the whole story, uh, he's right in front of him, he shouldn't know what was going on. Okay. Here's a second picture for you from uh, 2010, uh, June 2nd. How many recognize this picture? Okay. A Tiger game. Uh, Mondo Galarraga throwing a perfect game. Last out of the game. Uh, he would have made history if he makes that out. And uh, he did make the out, but the ump called the guy safe. Umpire was, uh, who was the umpire's name? It bothers me that a lady knows that. That really bothers me. But uh, I'm kidding. But uh, yeah, Jim Joyce. And Jim actually is one of the best umpires around. He's retired now, but he really was one of the best umpires around. But he blew the call. And where were you looking? And they really handled it in such a great way uh, the next night. Here's the third sporting picture. Uh, this is from 2012. Golfer. Cart over the railing down a cliff. Uh, who, uh, who was that? That was me. And wh- why do you know that? But yeah, that was me. And the question, where, where were you looking? And you know, we all have had those instances in our life. Like, where were you looking when that happened? And uh, the chapter I want to look at in the Bible with you today uh, deals with where are you looking spiritually? You know, where are you focused in your life? And it really is the theme of Colossians uh, chapter 3. So if you go to the book of Colossians, it's a New Testament book. It's a letter that Paul wrote uh, to the church and the Christians in the city of Colossae. And here's what's interesting. He had never been there. But he knew some of the people because he'd been in that area. And no doubt they had come to visit him in other cities. Uh, some people that Paul worked with, he had sent to Colossae. Uh, so there were some connections, but Paul himself had never been to this city. And uh, one of the things that uh, that strikes me is just what you all do for us as uh, missionaries that you partner with and other missionaries. You, you've never been and met some of the people that we work with, but you're invested in it. And you'll meet those people in heaven. And you'll get to see how your prayers, your giving, uh, your commitment had an impact. Well, the same is true with Paul here. He's, in, he's investing in people whom he has never really met and been to their city. Uh, and one of the things in Paul's letters, uh, most of them, he really writes kind of in two halves. The first part of his letter, he'll talk about what we believe or doctrine. And then the second part of the letter, he'll talk about, okay, based on that doctrine, here's how we should behave. And uh, he does that in several letters. In the book of Romans, chapters 1 through 11 are all about our belief or our doctrine. Chapter 12 through 16, this is now how we live our life because of what we believe. The book of Ephesians is another great example. First three chapters uh, about our belief. Here's who we are in Christ. And uh, chapters 4, 5, and 6, here's how now I live because of that. And in Colossians, he does the same thing. The first two chapters that we're not going to cover really uh, are about the doctrine of who Christ is and who we are in Christ. And now chapters 3 and 4 are about how do we live that out? And we're going to focus on chapter 3 of how we live out 
our Christian life based upon who we believe Christ is, okay? And so um, we come to chapter 3, and in the, the letter or this book, there's some key words. And uh, if you like to mark in your Bible, I like to mark in my Bible, I'd encourage you to read the letter and look for some of these words. One word is the word complete. Uh, we are complete in Christ. Uh, another word that is used is the word fullness. Uh, you don't get a half measure of Christ, you get a full measure. Uh, another word is the word all, A-L-L. And uh, it's used several times to describe how rich and how bountiful we are in a relationship with Christ. So we get now to um, chapter 3, and uh, it's going to talk about, okay, where are we looking in our Christian life? And there are three things he's going to say about where we should be looking, okay? And we'll read these uh, paragraphs uh, and then talk about each one. So here's the first one, verses 1 through 4. It says this. If, and let me just stop right there. The word if really could be translated the word since. Uh, In Greek, they had a way to use the word if in four different ways of meaning. And the way of meaning that the word if is used here is if and it's true, okay? Or since. And so know that it's not a question of it being true or not. He's saying this is true. And he says, if uh, you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above. Did you see that phrase that's used twice there? Things that are above? Uh, I marked that in my Bible. Uh, Because here's what it's saying in this first paragraph. You know one place you need to look is you need to look upward. Things that are above. That's where my mind is supposed to gravitate toward. Not on things that are on the earth. For if you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And so things above are things of uh, heaven. And he's saying there, uh, you need to have an upward look and think about, put your mind on, set your mind on uh, things of heaven. Or here's another way we could word it, things that are eternal. Versus things that are temporal. We are called to set our mind on that. Uh, to think about heaven. Uh, to think about when I die, I'm going to heaven. To think about um, um, if, uh, if the rapture comes, uh, I can't wait for Christ to come back. I'm going to heaven. And so we are called to think on things that are eternal and not things that are just temporal. Things that are temporal, he said, are the things down here on earth. And so understand that difference. Now, have you ever heard the saying, uh, that guy's so uh, heavenly minded that he's no what? Earthly good. I don't think that's possible. I think if you truly set your mind on heaven in the right way, you're going to be better down here on earth. And you're going to have a greater impact for Christ because you're thinking about eternal things. Um, uh, What are the things in this world that will last for eternity? There are two that I can think of. Anybody? God's word word is one. Okay, the word of God's going to stand forever. What's the second one? The souls of people. People. Those are the two things that I know of that will last forever. And you know what ministry is all about? It's connecting God's word in the lives of people. 
That's investing in eternal things. That is setting your mind on things that are above. Every person you and I meet, uh, we ought to have the mindset, this person's going to live forever somewhere. And that is true of everybody. It's true of you today. You will live forever somewhere, and I hope you know through Christ that you have that home in heaven. So we are called to set our mind on things that are above. So uh, eternal versus the temporal. Now note this. There's another little phrase in this passage that I encourage you to mark, if you like to mark in your Bible. And uh, a little word that's used that seems insignificant, but it's really not. Look what it says in verse 1. We are raised with, that's the key word, Christ. Look down at verse 3. We are hidden with Christ. And then look at the very last phrase in verse 4. Appear with uh, him or Christ in glory. So what does the word with convey? When you read the word with, what does it convey? It conveys the idea of identifying. I'm with so-and-so. Uh, uh, who'd you take to the, uh, to the event? Well, I went with boom. Okay? Uh, you ever been somewhere, maybe uh, Cedar Point or the zoo, and someone's got a shirt on with a little hand that points that way and says, I'm with him? Sometimes I think they say, I'm with uh, stupid. Uh, I'm not promoting that shirt. But uh, we're saying, hey, I'm with that person. I identify with them. And that's what it's saying there. We are to identify with Christ. That's what it means to have our focus upward. And the three phrases that are used, just touch on them briefly. The first one, uh, he says, and I'm going to start with not the first one mentioned, but the first one that kind of happens in our Christian life. And so it's the, it's the one that says uh, that uh, we are hidden uh, with Christ. And it's in verse 3, and it's talking there about the fact that he, he died for us. I identify with the crucifixion of Christ. I am hidden in him because of what he did on the cross. And the word hidden uh, doesn't mean to keep secret. The word hidden, if you hide something in your house uh, that's valuable, you're putting it in a what? A safe place. Uh, it's secure. And that's what it's saying about our life with Christ. I'm safe, I'm secure uh, in Christ who died on the cross for me. And that's what it means to identify with him. The second one that's used there, uh, it says um, that we, are, we identify with him, we're raised with Christ, and that uh, he is seated at the right hand of God. Uh, identify with him in his resurrection. He's in heaven interceding for you and me today, if you know Christ. And that's where he is, and that's what he's doing. And it says he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. You know, that phrase is used nine times uh, in the New Testament. Seated with, Christ, with uh, seated at the right hand of the Father uh, in reference to Christ. Uh, used nine times. What does that mean? Uh, when someone is seated, uh, if you come home at the end of the day and you sit on the couch... What does that mean? Your work for the day is what? Done. And that's what it means when Christ is seated at the right. His work on the cross is done. It is finished. Uh, the other thing it conveys is authority. Uh, to be seated at the, the king's right hand meant you're in a position of authority in favor. And so I identify with that with Christ. There's one place in the New Testament where it, it says about Christ... 
uh, at the right hand of the Father, but he's not seated, he is standing. Anyone know where that reference is? Stephen. Stephen. Who said Stephen? You got it right. Um, uh, Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Stephen, the first uh, Christian martyr who is recorded in Scripture, as he's dying at the end of the chapter, he says, I looked to heaven and I saw at the right hand of God, Jesus standing. Now, do we know all that that means? No, we probably don't. But one theory is, one thought is, and I kind of lean this way, is that when Stephen is dying, Christ is standing to greet him when he gets to heaven. Uh, you know you, you know Christ? Uh, when you go to heaven, guess what? Christ will be there to greet you. If he's standing, I'm not sure. I, I think so. He's there to welcome you in. Someone walks into the room where we're at. Uh, what do we tend to do? We stand up and greet them. And so uh, identify with that. Uh, let people know, hey, I know where I'm going uh, when I die. And then the last one it says there, uh, we identify with Christ, in his glorification. That was the last little phrase there. Uh, we appear with him in glory. Do you know all the stuff in this world one day will be done? The sin, the evil, uh, the stuff that we watch and go, man, I can't believe that's going on now. One day, for those who know Christ, uh, we'll be in glory and uh, there'll be no sin. And God will rule and reign there. And so uh, uh, have an upward look in life. You and I have the greatest gift uh, of heaven. And we're here to share it with others. And I hope you know Christ as your Savior. So here's a second look that this passage talks about. Not only do we have an upward look, but uh, verses 5 through 17 are now going to talk about having an inward look. I need to look in uh, at my own life. And uh, here's the idea. I need to look at my spiritual life, not just my physical life. Uh, don't we usually tend to look at the physical life? Uh, hey, how do I look? Uh, what am I wearing? Uh, how does my face look? Uh, how does my haircut look? Uh, what kind of car am I driving or that person driving? Uh, what kind of home? And we tend to look at the outward. Here, uh, Paul is saying, uh, look at the inward. And you know, it's hard to do that. It's hard to really look at yourself objectively. So you need some help. And Paul's going to mention three people, if you will, that uh, you can have in your life to help you. And here are the three. In verse number um, uh, five, he says, put to death. And the word there, uh, some translations actually use the word mortify. What uh, word do we use in our language today uh, that would tie into the word mortify? When someone dies, their body goes to a what? Mortician. Do you know who you need in your life to help you live the Christian life? You need a mortician. Not a real one, a spiritual one. You need someone to tell you that you and I are to be dead to some stuff. Here's what he says, uh, verse 5. Put to death or mortify, therefore what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked 
when you were living in them. You know what you and I need? A mortician. We need to be reminded that we are dead to some stuff. And the part of a list is given right there. And so we flee from it. We avoid it. We get help staying away from it. We encourage others to stay away from it. But we need to realize that in Christ, I died. Those old passions, those old desires, I'm to be dead to them. So a mortician. Then he says this. Uh, a second person we kind of need in our life. In verses 8 through 14. Uh, before I read, uh, look in verse 8. It says, put them all away. And then if you look down in verse 12, it says, put on them. And later in verse 14, it uses the words, put on again. The word, uh, put them off and put them on, were words that meant to change your clothes. That's what it means. So who do you help get a new, uh, who helps you get a new set of clothes? A Jesus, but uh, a tailor. A tailor does. Okay? You and I need a tailor. Someone to help us know what we're to wear in the Christian life. And there are some things we're to take off, and there are some things that we are to put on. Okay? Uh, you need a tailor. You need a personal shopper. To help you out, uh, what you're gonna wear. And, uh, and it doesn't say put something on over what you're wearing. You know, that's not the Christian life. To just try and uh, make ourselves look a little better on our own. The Christian life is Christ died to remove some things in my life and then to bring some new things in. And so we're to put off and then we're to put on. So let's read that first paragraph. Here's what it says about putting off. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So I'm going to take some stuff off. And then in the next paragraph, we'll skip down to verse 12. Here's what I'm going to put on. My new set of clothes. And by the way, this idea is not new. There are several verses throughout the Bible that talk about being clothed in Christ. I want to read one from the Old Testament. Isaiah 61.10 says this, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. So as a Christian, I'm to take off some old clothes that I used to wear, and I need a tailor, and that's Christ, to help me put on the new clothes. And here's what it says. Put on therefore, or put on then, uh, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, uh, compassionate hearts. And let's stop and talk about that for a minute. You know what that word means? Bowels of mercy. Uh, you ever feel, you ever say like, oh man, that hit me in the gut. Or, uh, you know, your stomach gets queasy over something. That's the idea. Man, I, 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 it's like, I feel it. I feel it in the deepest part of me. Uh, there are places in the Gospels where it says, Jesus looked at the crowd and was moved with what? Compassion. That's the idea. And so we ought to have compassionate hearts. Things ought to move us uh, when we see them and hear about them that help us make a difference for Christ. And then after that, it says kindness. 
And uh, here's the easiest way to describe that word. It means make someone else's life easier in following Christ. Kindness. I want to illustrate it for you. And uh, Doug, come on up here. I'm going to use you as an example if I could. (coughs) Just stand here and face me if you would. And so imagine that Doug and I are on a mountain trail. High up. And uh, it's a very narrow trail. It's about this wide. Here is a complete rock wall. So there's no way to go that way. And here's a complete drop off. Okay. And Doug and I meet and he wants to go that way. And I want to go that way. And so we come face to face, no way to get around. It's so narrow. Uh, So there's like three options. What's the first option? Someone's going to get thrown off or maybe both of us. Okay. That's one option. I don't recommend it. Uh, second option is we both just give up. He's going to turn around and go that way. I'm going to turn around and go that way and give up on our journey. Okay. The third option is what? One of us is going to lay down and let the other person step over him and step on him. And I'm not talking about an abusive relationship. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a genuine spirit where one lays down and says, hey, I want the best for you, even if it hurts me for a minute. That's the idea. Uh, I, I used this illustration years ago when I was here at Oakwood. I think I had a child come up, and actually I laid down and actually let the child walk on top of me and go. Doug, I ain't doing that with you. Okay? Hey, thanks for coming up. <clears throat> but uh, that's the picture of kindness, is willingly and joyfully I will uh, sacrifice a little bit so that someone else can be advanced in their life and their journey with Christ. Uh, The next word that's used is the word humility. And uh, it means humbleness of mind. And uh, so the idea there is I make a decision to uh, bring myself below others to serve them. One of my counterparts here in Detroit uh, was the chaplain of the Lions for years, Dave Wilson. Some of you may know Dave. Uh, Dave's a tremendous guy, did a wonderful job. And uh, he and his wife, Anna, are on the radio uh, doing marriage things now. But uh, Dave uh, told me this story once. Uh, Dave would travel with the Lions when they went on the road. And on road trips after the game, he'd go into the locker room. And uh, they're getting ready because they fly home after the game. They don't spend nights in those cities. And so um, uh, some guys have to do all the laundry stuff. Get the guy's jerseys, undergarments, uh, equipment, get it all bagged up, ready to get on the plane to go back home to be laundered. So you can imagine 50-some guys and all the <clears throat> dirty laundry that's there. And so the guy who was one of the clubhouse guys who was in charge of that had, ne- had really always been kind of, uh, he and Dave, it was abrasive toward Dave. Like, oh, what are you doing here? You know, that type of thing. And, uh, and Dave would go in the locker room, he'd see guys, and a lot of times he's standing around, waiting for everything, when to get dressed, everything packed up, and they'd go get on the bus to go to the plane. And so one day, Dave's there, and uh, this guy who was, you know, kind of uh, at odds with him at times, uh, Dave's watching him do all laundry, say, you know what, I can do laundry. And Dave went over, can I help you sort this stuff? And uh, through sorting, soiled undergarments... Uh, built a relationship with this guy. He made a decision in his mind, I can humble myself to do that. And so that's really the idea of what we're to put on uh, in Christ. And then the two uh, last ones that are mentioned here, it says meekness, strength under control. And then the final one there, 
uh, patience. And uh, that's the word that's used of God being patient toward mankind, uh, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance in um, uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. And so where to put those clothes on? This is the time of year, uh, and I don't watch them, I'm not against them, but uh, you may watch them, which is great. But uh, this time of year on TV, there's a lot of award shows, right? Golden Globes, Academy Awards, Emmys, and there's probably others, right? And uh, what is the question that gets most asked at those awards? When they're walking down the red carpet, who, not what are you wearing, who are you wearing? Who are you wearing? What designer? You know what God is asking right here? Hey, who are you wearing? Are you wearing Christ or wearing yourself? Are you wearing Christ or wearing some, some, something else or someone else? And so that's the idea that's there. And then look what the next little phrase says. It says, bearing one another, bearing with one another. Uh, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Uh, you know what we tend to do? We tend to look at others and judge them and what they're wearing than looking at ourselves. And he's saying there, don't do that. Focus on what you're wearing and who you're wearing, Christ, and stop trying to judge what everyone else is wearing. Let God take care of them. So, uh, to have an inward look. I need a mortician. I need a tailor. And then he's going to use the third example. And it's a, the one of an umpire. Look at the next verse. It says, let the peace of God or peace of Christ rule in your hearts. <clears throat> the word rule there is a word that is arbitrate. It means to umpire. Let Christ or let God's word be your umpire in life. In verse um, <coughs> in verse 16, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And so you need, and I need, an umpire. Uh, one of the players here in Detroit, uh, before some of your times, who came to Christ as a player uh, was Tony Clark. Tony's a big, tall first baseman, and uh, Tony was not a believer, but uh, we built a relationship. One off-season, we did a Bible study together over the telephone. He lived in Phoenix. I was here in Detroit. And about five weeks into this study, he prays to receive Christ over the phone. Goes to spring training that next year and uh, shares his faith in the Detroit Free Press. And uh, Tony then really took off growing. Tony would keep a Bible on the top shelf of his locker. And uh, on occasions when I would come into the clubhouse, Jeff, Jeff, come here, come here. I was reading this. What does this mean right here? And he wanted to know uh, how the Bible related and what it was saying. He asked one of the best questions ever. Uh, this was 2000. He uh, called me over. He said, Jeff, I got a question for you. He said, what does the Bible say about steroids? It's a great question. I said, well, in Amos chapter 1, uh, no, it's not in the Bible. But you know what? There are principles in the Bible that talk about it. And here's a guy, and Tony never did steroids. And here's a guy who was saying, I want God's word to direct my life. And if I have a question about something, I want to go here. You know what Tony does today? Anyone know what Tony's uh, job is? He's out of baseball as a player, but Tony is the executive director of the Players Association. He's like their union chief. And so holds a very influential job. 
And what a great guy to be a guy who says, I want God's word to rule in my life. Here's a picture of some mumps. And this was from the 2018 All-Star Game in Washington, D.C. A regular baseball game during the season, there's four umpires. Uh, All-Star Game playoffs, there's six. And so here are the six umpires right before the first pitch. The crew chief, the guy that was in the head of this crew, is a guy named Ted Barrett. Ted retired a year ago, one of the best umps. Ted is a big, tall man, uh, really uh, in good shape. Ted was an amateur boxer. He sparred against Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield. Uh, Ted is an ordained minister, a dear brother in Christ. So if you're a baseball player, don't argue with Ted, okay? You're going to lose on all fronts. But you know what Ted did? Not just for the All-Star game. They happened to catch the picture here. But before every game, Ted would gather his crew at home plate and pray together. Here's a guy saying, you know what? Uh, in my job, I want Christ to rule today. I want his blessing on what I'm doing. Uh, I want him to guide my thoughts and my actions. And folks, you and I, uh, in our lives, to have the right kind of inward look uh, to our own spiritual life, uh, we need a mortician, uh, we need a tailor, and we need an umpire. And then here's the final paragraph. And just for time's sake, I'm not going to read it all. But uh, the last part in chapter 3, uh, verse 18, down through chapter 4, verse 1, it talks about why three relationships. Wives and husbands, uh, parents and children, and then bond servants and masters. And uh, just say a word about the bond servants and masters. We all know this. Uh, slavery uh, is wrong in the Bible. Okay, that's what the Bible teaches. Now, what was going on in uh, Colossae and the Roman Empire? There's varying degrees of bond servants, slaveries. Some equate it to employer, employee, and that's fine. But to understand, the Bible is not promoting slavery. It condemns it. And uh, so here, in this passage, these three relationships are mentioned. And um, he, the focus is this. Uh, I need to have an outward look. I need to look at the people in my life with whom I'm in relationship with. My spouse, my kids, my parents, uh, my employer, my employees, uh, my teammates, uh, my coaches, my teachers, my fellow students. I need to look outward to them instead of just being self-centered on me. Okay? And, and after I've taken that inward look to my spiritual life, I am then in a good place to look outward to the needs of others. And, and the focus is this. Don't focus on the position, but focus on the person. Uh, we get wrapped up in the positions. Well, I'm the, I'm the chief. I'm the team captain. I'm the employer. I'm the parent. Uh, you know, and we tend to, uh, utilize, uh, to our benefit our position. And what, uh, Paul is saying here, hey, look at people as people. Not someone who's in a position. And so the head of the company ought to look at the lowest person in that company and care about them as a person. And uh, we can make other applications of that as well. But that's the idea of, of what he's saying here. Let me wrap up with a, a follow-up. I mentioned earlier Jim Joyce, uh, the umpire who blew the call in 2010 at uh, Comerica Park. 
Uh, and like I said, Jim's one of the best umpires. I think the next year he was voted the best umpire. And they actually run stats on the umps like they do players. Every, uh, every umpire gets a report card after the game the next day, uh, evaluating how he did, especially calling balls and strikes. And so, um, 2010, Jim, what he's known for, uh, blows the call with Amanda Galarraga for a perfect game. Two years later, in the 2012 season, August 22nd, Jim is at, uh, the ballpark in, uh, Phoenix, Chase Field. And most umpire crews, they tend to come to the ballpark together. They usually stay at the same hotel. And uh, they usually come in 90 minutes before the first pitch. So Jim and his crew are coming into Chase Field about 90 minutes before game time. And in most ballparks, uh, they get uh, come off street level, get an elevator, go down to the lowest level of the ballpark uh, underneath the stands. And that's where their locker room is. That's where the team locker rooms are. And uh, so he was going down, walking the corridor down there on that low level to go to the umpire's locker room. And uh, there was a little crowd gathered over here. And there was a lady laying on the floor. Her name is Jane Powers. She was a vendor, a, a food services person uh, there at the stadium. <clears throat> and she had collapsed. People around her thought she had a seizure. Uh, Jim, you know, could have been wrapped up in, hey, I'm a major league umpire. I haven't got time for that. Or he could have been, you know, wallowing in, oh, I'm still mad about two years ago, I blew it. And I'm just uh, down on myself. But instead, Jim saw that lady and went over. Took the initiative to go over to find out who this person was. And he realized that she's having a heart issue. Uh, her heart, uh, he, you know, felt, heard, heart wasn't beating, wasn't breathing. And Jim began CPR. And I didn't know this. But as he did CPR... He did the, he sang the song by the Bee Gees. What song did he sing? I never knew that. But I guess as you sing that song, it gets you the tempo for what you need. Is that right? Good. And so, uh, he does that and he stays there until the EMS people come. And, uh, they get her revived in the ambulance to the hospital. And today she's still alive. And, uh, she spent several days in the hospital. Uh, and here was a guy who cared about people and wasn't focused on his position in life. Uh, that was a Monday uh, evening. Uh, the next day on Tuesday, uh, Jim and his wife went to uh, the hospital. His wife's name is Kay. Jim and Kay went to visit Joyce in the hospital. And uh, as, uh, as uh, Joyce and Kay were talking, uh, Joyce said to Kay, that she remembered, um, uh, just forgot my umpire, Jim's name, or Jim's voice. So I remembered his voice. Because as he was giving CPR, he was singing, staying alive, but he also was saying other things. And here's what Jim said. I was yelling at her to come back uh, and everything. She said she recognized my voice. So that's really kind of cool. And uh, here's the question we wrap up with. Who's going to recognize your voice and say, you know, when I was at my lowest, it was that guy's voice or that gal's voice that really spoke God's love and God's truth uh, into my life. And uh, who's going to recognize your voice? Who's going to recognize my voice as people that really uh, cared about them as people and spoke God's word uh, into their life? So I I leave you with that today. Uh, Your outlook in life, my outlook in life. 
Uh, we ought to have an upward look. Heaven's our home. That's where we're going. We ought to have an inward look. My spiritual life is really important. And then we ought to have an outward look to other people around us. Father, thanks for this word. Uh, thanks for the truths in this chapter of uh, how we uh, need to live our lives based upon what we believe. Uh, if we believe Christ is who he said he is, uh, in Colossians chapter 1 and 2, uh, that he's preeminent, that he's above all, uh, then Father, uh, chapter 3 ought to reflect on how we live our lives. So I pray, Father, we might uh, be those type of uh, men and women and young people who uh, have a life that looks upward, looks inward, and looks outward for Jesus' glory. In his name we pray, amen.